We're talking uh, today again about closer, being closer, drawing closer to God. And I told the first service that we've had this morning that I think when I sat down a couple months ago and, and, and sort of thinking about this sermon series, I honestly had a different, uh, a different take on it. The idea of being closer in your relationships and with your kids, which, you know, that could be difficult. But I started, um, I started thinking about how the things that God set up for us in order to draw closer to him. And, and we end up calling those things spiritual disciplines. And we talked about that last week. I know our culture isn't super excited about being disciplined. Um, our culture is more moving to whatever you feel like doing, do it. Whatever makes you happy, do it. And the idea of being disciplined is, is kind of being lost by the wayside. Uh, but it's not lost in scripture. And James says, if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And he laid out the ways that we draw near to him. So, so we're not talking about, I want to make a clarification. We're not talking about being saved. Because, because we're, we know that we're saved through faith uh, because of grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not, not anything you do of yourselves because we would then have the opportunity to boast that we saved ourselves. It's not that, but it's the gift of God. It's he gave it to us. So after we're saved though, there's an opportunity for us to even move closer to him. Amen. So I, I might've said this last week, I got married 25 years ago. Pray to God that I'm a little closer to my wife today than I was 25 years ago. But that's my choice sometimes. It's also her choice. So all of a sudden, I know there's certain things that I do that cause me to be closer to her. Like come home at night. There you go. Anybody struggling with that? There's where you start. So our walk with Christ is the same way. Like he saves us out of the, out of the love that he had before we were worthy of it. He died on the cross for us. And then out of that response to his love, we in turn move closer to him. So we're on the same page. Amen. We're going to go to second Timothy. We've been reading out of Timothy a lot and, uh, it, it's just, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. So we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10, read through 17. If you stand to your feet in honor of reading of the word, you can find this on the screen or if you brought your Bible with you or you can get it on your phone. In the Bible app, you can find it on our church app, Hope Community Church. So say amen if you're ready. Say oh my if you don't know. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. Lord, you said if we'd look into it, you'd change our minds, you'd renew our minds. So God, we we came together this morning Lord, knowing that this is what we'd be doing. And so we pray, God, that because we were together in your presence, looking at your word, internalizing it, applying it to our lives, Lord, that you change us. Give us a passion for your word today, Lord. Let it redirect our steps. Change the way we think about ourselves and others. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul's reminding Timothy of the example that had been set before him. If you've heard me preach uh, from the book of 1st and 2nd Timothy, those two letters, you know that Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus and he's a younger guy. And, um, and Paul is encouraging him over and over again. This is Paul's, um, at the end of Paul's life where he's writing to Timothy now in his second letter. And, and he says, Hey, listen, you, you've seen, you've seen how I lived. You saw how I lived. You saw the persecution that I walked through. You saw the difficulty and I, and in those cities that, that you were with me in, you've seen it. And he said, but you also saw God deliver me from all of them. You saw, the, you saw the deliverance of God in all those circumstances. And then, he, and then he tells Paul, or then he tells Timothy, hey, listen, the evil people are going from bad to worse. Anybody feel like that's where we're at today? He says, so this, this isn't necessarily going to get any better, but what I need you to remember is this. You had the scriptures, the ancient scriptures, he calls them, from, from early on. Don't forget those things that you read when you were a kid. Don't forget those things that your parents taught you. Don't forget those things that you grew up in. Don't forget the scripture that you got when you were young. And I'm so thankful for that. I know not everybody in this room had that, had that privilege, but, but I had that privilege of growing up with the scripture being applied to my mind and my backside. And um, well, I never got whipped with a Bible, but I had Bible verses that I was getting whipped after. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe we should go back to the old days. And then he says this, all scripture is God breathed. He tells Timothy, the scripture that you have came from God. We hear in the first chapter of The gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of God became incarnate man. Jesus was the incarnate, was the manifest word of God here on the earth. Jesus would actually say, I only do what I, 
only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father say. He was, he was the, the flesh of God's word to us. So Paul's telling Timothy, all the scripture that you ingested when you were a kid, all the scripture that you have now is from God. It's not, it's not some, some people came up with to make you feel better about yourself. No, it's from God. And then he said, it's good for a couple things. It's, it's good as a standard by which to train by and rebuke by and to, and, and for righteousness, it's the standard by which we operate. If you're going to train somebody on something, you have to have something by which to train them on. Here's the standard, Timothy. If you're going to train the church, train them with the standard. If you're going to rebuke somebody or correct somebody, you correct them with the standard. And if you're going to, if you're going to measure a righteous life, you measure it with the standard. And then he goes on right at the end of that, I think verse 17, and he says, listen, this is good. This will produce good things in your life. It will equip you and make it, you complete to, to do the works that God had called you to do. Spiritual disciplines closer to God. I think every other spiritual discipline that we do, and we will cover some more of them in the coming weeks, starts here. Starts with the word of God. And, and I know that might not be a popular saying, you know, maybe we wish we could take a pill and, and, you know, like you can to get skinny. Maybe we wish we could just, um, watch a Netflix series and, and maybe that would just do it for us. And I know if you're like me in my early twenties, I carried around a badge of honor where I walked around and said, man, I don't, I don't read too tough for books. Books can't handle me. It sounds like a toddler, doesn't it? Like I'm, I'm at home ripping pages out. And then I found out if you want to get close to God's heart, you got to know what God's heart already said. And so, um, so Tim, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, the standard the, by which you do everything is, is God's word. He already breathed it out. Now I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some facts about the Bible that some of you may know. Some of you may be familiar with, but maybe, maybe a good many of you didn't know this. But here's some things that you can have confidence in the word of God, that it is God breathed the the scripture, the 66 books that we have in a, in a leather bound Bible or the one on your phone. This is the confidence we can have. Do you know it was written over 1400 years? There's no other literary uh, work on the planet that took that long to read, right? Some of you are saying, well, it takes that long to read. It doesn't. It doesn't. You could read it in a year very easily. 1,400 years. God breathed out his word over 1,400 years. It was written by people that lived all over the place, Rome and Egypt, Mesopotamia. It had 40 different authors from all walks of life. Kings wrote some of it and fishermen wrote some of it. It's made up of different literary types. You have history books, you have poetry, law, biographies, you have personal correspondence, which we're reading right now. 
It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It's become the most popular book ever written. You know the Guinness World Records? Anybody remember when you were a kid getting the Guinness World Records, like encyclopedia thing, and couldn't wait to find out how many hot dogs some guy ate? Remember that as a kid, being like, oh my word, did you see? It's before the internet. When you had to get a book. It's the most popular book ever written. Guinness World Records lists the Bible as the most popular book ever written and estimates that between five and seven billion copies have been printed. Billion with a B. Wycliffe Bible translators report the full Bible has been translated into 717 languages. The whole Bible has been translated into 717 languages with 5.75 billion people now having access. The New Testament is available in another 1,582 languages and other parts of scripture available in another 1,196 languages. It's literally the book for everyone. There's no other book ever written that has been translated in as many languages as the Bible. And it's got one common theme through the whole book, and that's God's unending love for us. It's a book for everyone. I think I said this last week in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus quotes actually Deuteronomy 8, 3, which Deuteronomy is a long sermon at the end of Moses' leadership of Israel. And Jesus was walked into the desert by the, by the spirit of God to be tempted. And he fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. And then the first time he's tempted by the devil, the devil says, hey, why don't you turn this a stone into bread. Now we're fasting, so it's more like we're turning bread into stone. But anyway, that's another issue. He says, why don't you go ahead and turn this stone into bread? And, and what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Try saying a word without breathing out. So Jesus is parroting or, 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 or Paul is parroting Jesus when Jesus says, who is then quoting Moses, who says, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when Paul is encouraging Timothy, he says, listen, the scripture is God breathed. God spoke it out to humanity. The good people wrote it down. You can trust that it's from God. There's never been another book on the planet like it. And I know we can get so frivolous and flippant with the Bible that it's just like, well, they're everywhere. I'm telling you right now, there's some communities in the world that would love to get their hands on the big old clunky Bible you have laying on the coffee table. Because we have so much access to it, we take it for granted. Because we can dial it up our phones in a second. Because we can have somebody read it to us because... Because it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit confusing. It's, it's a little bit difficult to read. They have, it, they have now translations in every type of language and paraphrase and, 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 and the, the message paraphrase and all kinds of things that you can, to help you understand it easier. But we kind of take it for granted. The, the, the breath of God in our midst. And, and yet we're like, ah. 
So Paul is encouraging Timothy because this wasn't new to just uh, 2022. This was, this was, this was an issue throughout mankind. Paul's encouraging him. Hey, that, that scripture you remember when you were a kid, don't forget that. And then all scriptures God breathed. Matter of fact, it wasn't just useful for when you were a kid and, and then to, to, to keep you from getting whippings. It wasn't just that. Now it's useful. Now as you're an adult, you're pastoring a church. By the way, pastor, the scripture is pretty useful for pastoring. You're pastoring a church, Timothy. Now don't, rem- don't forget that all scriptures God breathed. When people come into the church and, and act like scripture is not that big a deal and, and there's this other idea floating around and there's this other idea over here, don't forget that scripture is God breathed. And, and when scripture is God breathed, then you can use it as the standard for training and rebuking and correcting and encouraging and all these things and producing righteousness in your life because it ends up being the standard by which we measure everything. You know, there ends up in our culture, uh, standards change a lot. Standards change a lot. That's why I'm so glad there wasn't social media when I was a teenager. Because maybe some of the things I did when I was a teenager wouldn't be socially acceptable now. Because the standard changed. Matter of fact, some of the things you did last week aren't acceptable anymore. Because the standard changes about every seven seconds. What you said yesterday is not allowed to be said today. So what ends up happening is we live in a culture now where the standard is constantly shifting according to what makes us feel okay about ourselves. What makes you feel good? What makes you, what makes your life a little easier? Well, if it makes my life easier, it's gotta be from God. (laughs) You know what the irony is with that? Paul just got done telling Timothy, hey, you saw the way that I lived and all the persecutions that I walked through. He didn't say, you saw the way I lived that God made this thing an easy street. He said, you saw all the persecutions I walked through. Do the same thing I did. And our culture today is shoving it down our throats. Just do what makes you feel good. Just do it. Do it. If, it if it's too difficult, man, it's not for you. If it's, if it's something that, you know, well, if it, if, it, if it upsets you, then don't do it. I'm thankful that I had parents that didn't care if I was upset or not. Like, clean your room. I don't feel like it. Okay? Then we'll clean it. And you'll have no things. Because we're going to clean it once and it's going to be empty so we don't have to clean it again. We're teaching kids now to find themselves instead of compare themselves to the standard. But the other thing we're doing is we're teaching people to compare themselves to somebody else that's moving. And, and so we're constantly holding up this idea of who we are and this idea of who somebody else we see online. Look at that family taking the vacation. Look at that person getting the promotion. Look how good their kids are. Look how good this is. Look how good this is. And we're just comparing ourselves over and over and over. Look, they lost weight. Look, they did this. Look, they did that. Look, their their life is so perfect. Their husband is great. Comparison to anything else but scripture is shifting sand. It just, 
can, can I help you out? I can, I can improve your life 50%. If you, if you keep coming to this church here, I can improve your life like a lot. Really easy. It's really easy. Stop comparing yourself to anyone else on the planet. Now, I know it's going to take a little bit of work because you're going to have to turn a couple things off. You're going to have to turn, turn off Facebook every now and then. You're going to have to do it. Especially around vacation season when you're like, come on, kids, we're going to get excited for the tent camping. And then you pull up your neighbor and they're like spending $25,000 at Disney. And your kids see it. This tent camping's fun, kids, isn't it? We've been eating beef jerky for four weeks. This is all, I mean, this is awesome. Your dad's going to go out and kill the next meal. This is going to be great. And they're like, Johnny's eating, eating prime rib at Disney, Mom. Like, their parents are evil, and um, they don't love Jesus. If you want to have less anxiety in your life, stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and worry about what Scripture says about you. Because I can assure you, when you get to heaven, you will never be compared to somebody else. When you stand in front of God, he will never go, you should have been more like your brother. He will never say, you never lived up to what your parents said. He will never say, you, you could never please your wife. He'll say, what, what, what about what I breathed out? What about that thing that I breathed out? Did you, did you compare yourself to the standard? by which everybody will be judged by. Did you, did you look at the standard for living that I, that I told you? Did, did you pick it up and measure your life with it? Did, did, was that the thing you used? Was that the thing that you looked to daily to judge whether, whether your attitude was right? Wh- whether you should have really been as upset as you were about it? Was that the thing? Was that the thing? You know, Paul, Paul would write, Take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. He wrote that letter to the Corinthians. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And he would, and I've wrestled with that idea of taking every thought captive. Because in today's society, I wouldn't be surprised if 50% of the people walk in here deal with anxiety on a regular basis. And we wrestle with the thoughts in our mind. We wrestle with them and they, they take over and we wrestle and they take over and they wrestle and we take over. And guess what? Guess what? Paul says that what we should do with our brains, with our minds, the thoughts that come into them, is actually take them captive. Just take hold of them and not let them control you. Take them. If I've got somebody captive, they are not controlling me. You say, Chris, well, how do you do that? I don't have any weapons. I don't have any. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me tell you something. If you wave, a, if you wave the word of God in front of your thoughts enough times, you'll take it captive. Because sometimes, sometimes I don't think I'm worth it. And then I go back to what I learned when I was a kid that said, he bought you with a price. You are not your own. He, you were worth it enough for him to send Jesus to the earth to die for you and save you when you were rotten and didn't even care about him. So now, now 25, now 40 years later after that experience, you're going you're gonna to stand up and act like you're not worth it? The word of God says you are. Yeah. 
Lord, we're in so much financial trouble. I don't know how we're going to do this. It's not going to ever work. We can't do it. We can't make it. He will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I won't think like that again. There's been seasons, I've told you before, where my wife and I have texted each other back and forth over and over again. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. He will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him. He will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him. I just, I just, just say it over and over and over again because I'd get in the middle of the day and my, I would just get overwhelmed with circumstances and I'd be like, I don't know what to do. I can't fix it. And I'm used to fixing everything. I can literally fix everything. It's so fun. Until you get in a spot in your life where you can't. And then for a personality like me, man, that is devastating. It is horrific. It's the scariest moment I will ever live. Being in a spot where nothing I touch I can fix. And I would have to go, you said you'd give me peace if I put this on you. If I trusted you to fix it. Where did I get that from? That didn't just come out of the blue. The devil's not going to give you that. It came from knowing the word of God and being able to say, I'm comparing my life now to other. No, no, no. I can't compare it to other people because other people are more successful than me. Other people don't don't have this much trouble. Other people, their their lives are just working. But if I go to the word of God, he's got the answer for what I'm going through. Okay. He will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on him. Don't be anxious for anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, bring your requests to God with thanksgiving. A peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. All right. Whew. I can go to sleep now. I can go to sleep now. He's, he said he'd guard my heart and mind tonight. I can go to sleep now because he's my provider in the morning. I can go to sleep now because he's my redeemer when I screw up. I can go to sleep now because, because he... He said, I'm worth it. I can go to sleep now because, because he said he'd make a way where there seems to be no way. I can go to sleep now because, do you hear what I'm saying? But if you don't know that, if you don't know that, how am I going to correct my kids without a standard? There's so many people, even in the church, just walking around winging it. Just, just like, well, this is what I feel like today. And, and, and kids end up getting the brunt of that. Come on. So one day it's right, one day it's wrong. One day it's okay, one day it's not. I've been around long enough to see parents punish their kids for one thing and then the next day laugh at it. But if we go back to Scripture... We can, we can then say that to the kids, this is wrong every time. That's what the Bible says. There's not a little lie. There's not a big lie. It's just lying. The Lord told me I should whip you for it. So let me find it. Give me a second. I'm going to find this real quick. The, oh, but wait a second. It also says, do not provoke your children to anger. Stop messing with your kids. Be consistent. Where do I get consistency as a parent? Not from my circumstance. You, most of you have been alive long enough that your circumstances change all the time. 
And if you're trying to get consistency with your kids from your circumstance, you're going to be on a roller coaster the rest of your life and your kids are going to be riding it. So all of a sudden, despite my circumstance, the word of God says for me to treat my kids like this. So now there's a consistency that my kids can expect because I'm applying the word of God to the way I treat them. No, this is wrong every time. No, this is right every time. And we sit down at the table and I see them do something right. I can then look at them and say, listen, you honored God today with your attitude. You honored God today. That's a good thing. God, God blesses you for that type of mentality. And yet our culture today is just all over the place. Church, we have to have a standard. And of all people on the earth, we have to know what it is. We have to know what it is. We don't have a liberty of just guessing at what the word of God is telling us. The spiritual discipline of being in the word of God. I was telling you about Moses' last sermon. Deuteronomy, the whole book is his last sermon to Israel, chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. He says this, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love God with everything that you have. And then he segues right into this in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, you, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them around your, as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses is saying, listen, God breathed his word out to you as his people. And it should be a consistent conversation throughout your whole day. When I wake up in the morning, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Today can be a new day because your mercies are new to me today. The sins I committed yesterday are washed by the blood of Jesus. And you give me a clean sleep this morning when I woke up. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. What would happen if the first thing you did in the morning was wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for your word that I have. Thank you. You looked in the word of God and went, thank you for that. Some of you start sinning as soon as you wake up. That would stop that. It at least give you 30 minutes. Then he said, teach them to your kids. We used to tell our kids, listen, listen, kids, we're just going to do things a little different. Listen, we're, we're not saying your friends are bad, your friends' families are bad, but I, we start teaching this really early. Listen, as, as you're growing up, you're just going to notice that we're just going to do things a little different. So when we say no to some things, it's because we want to honor God. We don't hate you yet. <laughs> it's not about that. We just want to honor God. So we're just going to do things a little different. And there were seasons in their teenage years. We had to remind them, hey, listen, we just do things a little different. This is what the word of God says about this. We're just going to do a little different. We're, we want to honor God today in all, in all that we do. This, we're just, it's just going to be a little different. I know, it, I know it's an inconvenience that you can't go there. I know it is. Trust me, I went there. <laughs> it's a little inconvenient. But 
You want to honor God with this. Teach them to your kids. He said, write them on the doorpost of your house. When you walk out of the house, when you come back in, it's the word of God. Write them on the gate, your comings and going. When you're walking down the street. He said, if you submerse yourself in the word of God, you will end up honoring him and drawing closer to him. It's what he's already breathed out. So, so Paul tells Timothy, this is God breathe. This is God speaking to us. Secondly, he tells him, this is the standard then by which everything else is going to be measured. And then he says this, it's good for producing good works in your life. Now I've been around long enough to know that there's probably a lot of people in this room. They're like, man, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. What he wants me to do. I'm not sure what he wants me to do. And more and more, I'm finding out that, that he already wrote it down. Because, because he tells Timothy this, he says, it's good in verse 17. If you want to put that back up, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So if you're not sure what to do, go into the word of God and get prepared for what he wants you to do that you may not know yet. But here's what I could tell you, man, one of my early mentors was a guy who's been passed away a long time. Gene Carver used to say to me, I was like in my late twenties and I would go hang out with him and I, and I would, I complain about stuff and just be like, Gene, come on. You know, like, and I wanted him to agree with me. Well, he was old enough to know I was stupid. <laughs> you ever run around people like that? Like you're cute kid, but I'm old enough to know you're stupid. Uh, so he would just listen and then he would look up at me and he would say, Chris, God uses prepared people. And I used to think, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you talking about specifically? Like, do I need to work out more? Do I need to get a different job? Like, I don't understand. Do I need to go back to college? What are you talking about? And he wouldn't elaborate. He would just say, God uses prepared people. If you're wondering what you should do, Maybe go back to scripture and get prepared for what God wants you to do. Because in Ephesians 2.10, it says that he prepared in advance for us good works that we could do. We are God's workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance. Okay. Now, hopefully I'm going to bend your mind a little bit here. So maybe you don't know what to do is because you're not prepared to do what God had planned for you to do. Oh, see, I went through a season in my life where I thought I knew what God wanted me to do, but in, in fact, I wasn't preparing for that thing. I just thought I should get it. I just thought God should, well, I'm here, give it to me. How many of you know, if you give somebody irresponsible, something that they have to be responsible with, it never turns out well. Leave your inheritance to people sometimes. I'll tell you how it goes. All of a sudden, it hit me that I needed to be leaning into the word of God because I couldn't look into the future and tell what God wanted me to do. I couldn't, I wasn't that nifty. I couldn't, there was things that God was preparing for me that I had no idea about. But here's what I can tell you today, that if you're unsure about what the next five years is like, 
You can look into the word of God, dig into it, apply it to your life, and whatever comes, you will be ready for. You will be ready for it. Why? Because the word of God, Paul says, it's preparing you, making you complete for the good things that God wants you to do. And what do we know by Ephesians 2.10? We know that he's already set out for you. Before you were ever born, he created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So I'm going to give you one, one last illustration here, and hopefully you'll be able to relate to it. Most of you know I loathe Ikea furniture. <sighs> Get this little flat box that'll fit in the back of your station wagon. You bring it home, and it's like a two-story house. You're like, how did that even happen? It's complicated, isn't it? Put that thing together. They got all these little fasteners you've never seen before. 47 Allen wrenches. Why couldn't they just use one? But here's the way I do it typically. And my wife will attest to this with everything that I put together. I start unwrapping it. And I start to see big pieces and I go, oh, A obviously goes with B. So I take the 47-page manual, and I do one of these. (laughs) Baby, that's for people that don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Obviously. That's for people that shop at Ikea all the time. I'm a Lowe's guy. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I've built this before Ikea had the idea of building this. So I start putting it together. 72 hours later and repentance for a whole multitude of cuss words. I stand back. And then somebody walks in the room and goes, that's not what it's supposed to look like. Did you look at the manual? I think it looks fine. I think it's exactly the way I wanted it to look. And I don't need no stupid Ikea manual to tell me it needs to look different. You know, we're having the same conversation with God. Can I just, can I just sympathize with you a little bit? Your life is complicated. There's going to be fasteners in it that you don't even know how they work. 47 different wrenches to put it together. There's going to be seasons in your life where you don't have an answer for it. You're just flailing around trying to figure it out. And there's going to be seasons where people walk in and tell you that's not what it's supposed to look like. It's not turning out the way. And, and, and some of you are intuitive enough to know that it's not turning out the way you thought it was supposed to look like. But because of pride in your life, you won't admit that to anybody. There's seasons in my life where I looked down at the piece of furniture and went, that's not what this is supposed to be looking like. But on the outside, I went, I like it the way it is. And you can't judge me. Only God can. I grew up with Tupac. Some of you don't get that. Your life is complicated. But God wrote the manual so that in the most complicated season of your life, 
you could easily now flip your phone open. Lord, I'm afraid I put a couple fasteners in the wrong place. I'm afraid I got a board or two out of place. And you can flip open something as easy as your phone and find the manual of how to get it right. Ikea made the furniture before you knew you needed it. And God created good works before you knew they were even on your radar. But let me tell you something. God's manual for your life is better than the Ikea manual. Because there's something about the Ikea manual that they leave out. They don't put in there all the people that got it wrong and how to fix it. Sometimes I wish the Ikea manual had the thing in there. When it turns out like this, then do this. But it's not. They only give you one way. It's got to be perfect the way they do it. And so if I get halfway into it and I've screwed the thing up, then I've got massive amounts of frustration because I've only got this one image. I've only got this one thing. The beautiful thing about God's manual for us is he saying, listen, here's a whole bunch of people that screwed it up and watch how I redeemed them anyway. Here's a whole bunch of people that got the fasteners out of place because it was complicated what they were walking through. And and there was sin and there was all kinds of, and sometimes they complicated it themselves. And sometimes they had pride and, and greed and all these things and envy and lust and all these things. And sometimes they screwed the thing up even themselves. But guess what? The God of all the universe was able to come in and course correct and redeem and save and set free and forgive. And all of a sudden you saw the thing that almost got thrown in the trash, be redirected and stood up. Amen? But listen, if you stay out of the word of God, that's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. So the the basis for our walk with him, the basis for our to know him, the basis for us to draw close to him is being in what he already breathed out. And if you will get in it, just start this week. Just get on the Bible app. Get a Bible. Just start reading. We can help you with it. Figure out where to start, how to start. I trust me when I'm telling you this. If you will get in it, it will change your life. It will, he promises that it will renew our mind. It will change the way we think. And that old person that you were six weeks ago, you will all of a sudden be able to, I don't think like that anymore. It's the foundation for everything we do. And he gave it to us in abundance. It's not banned here. You can buy it anywhere. You can get on your phone or your computer. You can get in your ear. You can get in your car. You can get it anywhere you want. We are blessed with it. I'm begging you today to read it. Use it as a standard by which you judge everything in your life. Use it as a standard by which you you treat everybody. Use it as a standard for everything.